Good morning. It's good to see all of you today. My name is Emily DeLue, and I am the executive director here at New Community, and it's my joy to be with each of you today. This summer, we are in a defiant faith sermon series called Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus. So over the course of this year, we've been exploring practices and disciplines that um, help cultivate and unleash defiant faith in us. And so this summer, we are focusing on words and stories of Jesus to help us fix our eyes on Jesus. Because we believe that learning about Jesus and communing with Jesus helps unleash deep transformative, defiant faith that's for our good and for the good of the world. So the past, in June, we had three um, of our brothers and sisters from this church uh, share some stories of Jesus. And then for the next two months, July and August, we have more brothers and sisters from our congregation who will be leading us. Today, we are going to um, dive into a fairly well-known passage of scripture. Now, spoiler alert, the title of the passage gives everything away. It's Jesus calms the storm. So now you know what happens. But the, today we're going to, instead of focus on the outcome, which is the storm was calmed, we are going to explore the questions that come up in the narrative of this story, specifically the ones that come up in the book of Mark. Because I think the questions that come into the disciples' lives with this unruly and traumatic event are instructive to us. And they lead us to explore some of our deep, deep fears and point us to the heart and presence of Jesus. Friends, we all know that disasters and disillusionment are inevitable in our lives, right? And as people of faith, we need to learn how to look to Jesus and learn how to survive and be faithful in the midst of life's greatest storms. And I believe this story is instructive. It helps us learn how to do that in some ways. And so today, I invite us to take a look at this story because I think it's an invitation. Jesus is an invitation from Jesus to transform our fears into faith by going to Jesus with our deepest needs and embracing his powerful presence. So transforming our fears into faith by going to Jesus with our deepest needs and deepest fears and embracing his powerful presence. You've heard it mentioned a couple times today. As a church, we are in a moment where some of our fears might be coming to light. We, last Sunday, we said goodbye to our pastor of, um, of 19 years who has transitioned from this church. And so for some folks in this community, uh, there's some major disorientation and uncertainty going on here. And many of us are grieving the loss of, the, of, of Pastor Peter leaving the church. And so it kind of feels like we're, we've been in a communal storm, if you will. Some of us might feel like that. But then as a country, you look and we are being torn apart continually by the past and presence of racism, structural and individual. We are seeing that impact. I mean, just a couple months ago, we had a storm on the Capitol, right? As people violently invaded the Capitol. And then globally, we're dealing with the continued pandemic and climate change and political unrest. These are all significant storms that we are facing. And then, of course, individually, we've got our own personal, family, professional challenges that just are disillusioning and some of them feel downright out of control. So however you are approaching today's service, 
I challenge you to sit in the questions we're going to look at and, and be open to how God might want to meet you and transform you through these questions. And so let's get to the word of God. If you are able, I invite you to stand as I read God's holy and good word for us from the gospel of Mark. It'll also be on your screen. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So let me set the stage a bit. Again, we're in the Gospel of Mark. This is the shortest, most action-packed gospel. And the way that Mark writes this book is that he slowly and surely lays out layered explorations of who Jesus is. And so actually some scholars say you should read Mark trying to pretend you haven't read the other gospels. Don't try to bring in details from other gospels because this, this book helps you lead through a transformative vision of Jesus as God. But you start off not knowing that as you're reading the scriptures. So this event comes at the very end of chapter four. Uh, let me recap what's happened. So, um, okay. Jesus has come onto the scene in the outskirts of Galilee. He has been baptized by God and declared his, his beloved son. He then spends 40 days being tempted by Satan in the wilderness and comes back. He gathers some disciples and he starts proclaiming the good news of God's good rule coming to earth. And he is healing people and casting out demons and there's a lot going on. So there's some major buzz going around about Jesus. But... And partially, I think, because he's persistently defying their expectations. He's confusing the religious leaders and challenging them. Uh, he's expanding cultural definitions of family. He's telling stories that are very perplexing but intriguing, and no one's really understanding them unless he explains them. People are amazed by this guy. He speaks with incredible authority, and so his following grows. And it's starting to become kind of unmanageable. So he starts uh, teaching from a little boat in the sea because no house is big enough to contain him and contain the people who are hungry, hungry to hear the word of God from him and seeking after healing. So one evening, after a long day of teaching, Jesus is suggests there, he's sitting in the boat, he just finished teaching, he says, hey, let's, let's just stay in this boat and let's go on to the other side so I can spread the good news across the sea. Now, Sea of the, sea, uh, the Sea of Galilee, because it has mountains surrounding it, is known for sudden, extreme, dangerous storms. But most of his disciples are fishermen, so they've been through a storm or two, so they generally are familiar with how to handle this. But this one was furious. 
They're trying everything. They're bailing out water, they're pulling ropes, they're throwing barrels over the edge and whatever else you do when you're on a boat in the sea, I don't know, but they're doing it. And nothing is working, their efforts are worthless. This boat is about to go down. And they look over at Jesus and he's asleep. I like how the scripture says on a cushion. So he's extra comfortable in this storm. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Or other translations say, don't you care if we are destroyed? Destroyed by the storm you led us into? Destroyed by these uncontrollable forces and we've tried everything and you're just sitting there? I don't know about you, but that question alone hits a deep chord in me. Because we've been there, right? Where we are sinking and it seems like God's asleep at the stern. Now, parents, have any of you had this experience uh, with your newborn or child, young child, and they wake up in the middle of the night screaming? They're crying and you are trying everything. You're feeding them, you're rocking, you're trying to clean up vomit or night tears and it's just a total disaster at 3 a.m., right? And you look over at your partner and they're asleep. How's that go? Does that go over well? No? Mm-hmm. Now, I promise you this is not at all a dig on my spouse um, that I'm sharing this story, but I'm sure if this has happened to you, many of you mature people probably responded with, hey, babe, sorry to wake you, but could you help me a bit? But if you're like me, Uh, That conversation really is more like, babe, get up now. What kind of monster leaves me to fend for myself? Do you even care? So honestly, I resonate with how the disciples approach Jesus here. Do you care? What's interesting is that they don't actually, like in their exasperation and desperation, they don't go to Jesus with their practical need, like help us, don't, help us not die, right? They approach Jesus in a way that exposes their deeper fears. Don't you care? If you look back over their interactions with Jesus thus far though, you, they don't really have a logical reason to question Jesus' care for them. I mean, Jesus had granted these disciples authority to cast out demons, to be on mission and spread the good news. It wouldn't have made sense for Jesus and the disciples to go into a storm where they're all, including Jesus, going to die. Jesus had told these disciples that they were his family closer than his actual bloodline. He had proclaimed their value and worth, and yet in that moment of desperation when the outside world was uncontrolled and they saw Jesus sleeping, none of it mattered. Their deepest fear was activated. Don't you care? The reality is the disciples aren't really asking an abnormal question. It's not unique to wonder if God cares, if God's actually for them. In fact, I would say that this question is one of the most pervasive and oldest in human history. We can just look back to Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. For it was there that the serpent pushed this idea that God might be withholding from them. 
from Adam and Eve. He says, you know, essentially, does God really want, not want you to have any fruit in the garden? Oh, God's just forbidding that because he knows it'll make you like him. And God doesn't want that for you. And that planted seeds of doubt. Seeds of doubt that maybe God isn't actually for them. Maybe God doesn't actually care. And you look through scriptures and that lie continues. I mean, we can look back to the Israelites in Exodus 16. God had just miraculously delivered them from their oppressors in Egypt and demonstrated his incredible care for them by leading them through the Red Sea and destroying their enemies. And then they find themselves hungry in the desert and they say, did you bring us out into the desert to die? Or in 1 Samuel 8, when the people of Israel are demanding a king to rule over them rather than God. And God says that a king is going to ruin them. And they say, we don't care. We want a king. We don't think you actually care for us. You can look throughout scripture and see over and over again the, the question and fear of does God care for us? The fear that God is not for his people. And we're the same, right? I mean, how many of us can point really clearly to times in our lives where we see that God has been a faithful and present help in times of need. And yet, when we're in the thick of it, when all around us is uncontrolled and we're in that horrible job situation or toxic work environment or that person we love is sick or we are stuck in loneliness and depression or we're overwhelmed by the persistent racism and abuses of power around us, when we're seeing all these things and it seems like Jesus is asleep, how many of us turn to that gut reaction, God must not care? Or maybe that's not your fear. Maybe you're pretty comfortable with the idea that God cares for you, but maybe you're afraid that God isn't powerful enough for you in this moment. Regardless of what your fear is, the tears and storms of our lives will expose them. And what will you do with them? What do we do with our deepest fears? This story shows, points us to take these fears to God. In their rawness, in their honesty, our deepest fears, take them to God. What I love about this is that when they come to Jesus in desperation with their, with their greatest fear, and honestly, with an accusatory tone, right, don't you care? Jesus doesn't get offended. He doesn't try to explain things to them or backpedal. He doesn't withhold and say, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson because you're not trusting me, so I'm going to hold out and see what happens. No. Jesus steps in, makes his powerful presence known, and then invites them into deeper faith. The sort of faith that meets your fear and can transform them. So Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and spoke to the waves, quiet, be still. The Greek word for rebuke here is the same word used when Jesus rebuked evil spirits from people. In that culture, the seas often represented chaos and evil. And so when Jesus came at that storm with the same force that he came at the evil spirits in people, he was demonstrating the power over all that sought to destroy. And this act of power and control over nature and evil forces is a foreshadowing of what Jesus ultimately would do on the cross, where once and for all he would proclaim that evil will not win, that his people will not be destroyed. And once that threat of destruction passed, 
Jesus asked them a heart-level question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. Jesus wanted to get to the core of their fears and needs so that he could meet them there and call them forth. Now, honestly, I don't think the disciples could have even considered that question while the storm was currently going on, right? Like the wind, the waves are like battered back and forth. And Jesus is like, why are you so afraid? Doesn't make sense, right? And so I think Jesus knows in order to address their fears, he needs to calm and quiet first, get them out of that, that deep place of terror. Just the other day, I was walking in a creek with my kids, my family. Now I'm not a very naturey person, so it's not, I'm not a creek walker uh, in general, but uh, we were walking in a creek nonetheless, and my daughter was about, she's seven years old, she's about 40 feet in front of me, and suddenly she just started screaming. She's looking down and screaming. And I'm far away, and I'm like, what's, you know, what's going, what's up, what's up? And she's like, uh, now that my daughter's afraid of every creepy crawler imaginable. And she had just encountered a crawdad, or a crawfish, or it's on the screen. It's, it's like a little mini lobster that kind of looks like a scorpion. Anyway, I, I mean, not really, but kind of. So, you can take the picture of the crawdad now, down now. Um, anyway, so the crawdad is in front of her. She's screaming. And so from far away, I'm like, don't worry, the crawdad won't hurt you. It's fine. It doesn't matter. She's still screaming. She's standing there screaming. So I go up to her. And again, I'm trying to hold her and say, let's, let's look, look at how cute that crawdad is. It's not going to hurt you. Crawdads don't care about you. Don't worry. And nothing I say matters because she is gripped with fear. That crawdad is in her kind of face, and she's gripped with fear. So the only thing I could do was lead her away from the crawdad and lead her out of the creek and point to the steps not to slip on. And then once we were on dry ground walking and it was quiet, I, we could talk about the crawdad. I could ask her, why, why are you so afraid of the crawdad? I mean, I am too, but like what, you know, what happened there, you know? We could talk about what's so scary about them, what's going on. And in this story, I see Jesus doing that with the disciples. They were gripped with fear. All they could see was the storm in front of them and the possibility that Jesus doesn't care. So Jesus, in his deep concern and compassion, calmed the storm and quieted their fears at the same time so that he could invite them into deeper faith. Now let me be clear, I'm talking about transforming fear into faith, but I actually don't think that faith and fear are mutually exclusive. Some of us have this idea that, you know, if I have fear, then that means I don't have any faith. And if I have faith, that means I better not have any fear in my life. But I don't think that's actually true. Uh, Hebrews 11 gives us a list of people from the Old Testament who live by faith. And often we hold them up as heroes of faith, as we should. But we also need to take into account the full range of human emotion that they carried. I mean, like, do we really think that Sarah had no fears whatsoever about being a pregnant 90-year-old? Do we think that Moses wasn't shaken in his boots when he went before Pharaoh and he confronted him? Or Daniel, when he was about to be literally thrown into the lion's den. And yet Hebrews 11 points to these people as living by faith. And I don't think it's because they were superhuman, because they weren't. They weren't superhumans who were afraid, who weren't afraid. But they, they are attributed faith to them because 
fear did not grip them. Their faith was stronger and deeper than their fears. Their faith was rooted enough to handle their fears in stride. So friends and sisters and brothers, why are we so afraid? What fear is gripping our souls and how do we transform that fear into faith? Because I don't know about you, but true transformative faith that allows me to look life storms in the eye and not completely crumble under fear, that faith is not something you can just muster up or it's a fake it until you make it faith. That faith has to be rooted in something bigger, in someone bigger, someone who can absorb and lead us through those fears. So the disciples were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, based on the disciples' reaction, I don't think they really expected Jesus to calm this storm. Like maybe they expected him to help out or bail some water or something. But when Jesus brought sudden and total calm, it defied their expectations. And I think completely dismantled the categories they had for this Jesus. Up until this point, even though Jesus was performing miracles and was speaking with authority, he still could fit the mold of a great prophet. Right? Elijah spoke with authority to the prophets of Baal. Elisha healed leprosy. I mean, Moses prayed and parted the Red Seas. Jesus was doing things that they could still say, yeah, he's a prophet from God. But the only time in their scriptures where nature's elements obeyed a direct command was at creation. When God spoke the waters into existence. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and it was so. As the Jesus Storybook Bible says, the wind and the waves recognized his voice and immediately obeyed. Recognized the voice of their creator. I imagine the disciples' minds jumped to the creation story at that moment. God of the universe, the great creator, the great I am. And I think it blew their categories they had for Jesus. This was God in their midst. God is in our boat. When I'm going through a storm, whether it's something absolutely terrifying or just generally unsettling, very rarely does God show up for me exactly the way I want him to. Can I get an amen on that one? Very rarely does God fit into my expectations because too often, like the disciples, my vision for God is too small or too limited. I want God to just solve my problems and make things better. If we're honest, many of us just would really feel more comfortable if God was like a genie who granted our wishes. Or sometimes I'd feel like I'd be in way more control if I had a formulaic God, like a prosperity gospel God of you, you know, you do this and God grants you favor and nothing bad will happen to you. But we know that's not our God. God is so much bigger. And, and more good and more powerful than any of those false, false versions of him. And in his kindness and graciousness, God is all about expanding our visions of him. Often through defying our expectations, but so that we can experience a fuller picture of this powerful and unpredictable, yet good and caring God. Of this God who is for us, but not bound by us, thankfully of this God who absorbs our greater fears and calls us forth into courageous faith. 
This God who was destroyed by evil so that we evil would never destroy us. When we grapple with this question of who is this? Who is this God? And we embrace God's mysterious presence and responses and choose to trust him anyway, that's when our fears can transform into faith. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, be still and know that I am God. When nothing makes sense, can we fix our eyes and heart on Jesus so that the stillness that Jesus proclaimed over the sea can fall over us? So that the power he displayed over the wind and waves can be unleashed in us? When we embrace this Jesus, this God who isn't our genie but is our creator, we can say with trembling confidence, we don't know when our storms will end. But because of Jesus, we know the storms will not end us. We don't know when our storms will end, but they will not end us because of Jesus. So friends, we're going to continue to find ourselves in confusing storms and uncontrollable disasters. But my prayer is that we as people of God will seek to transform that fear into faith by going to Jesus with our deepest fears and embracing the mysterious, powerful presence of Jesus. Just a quick note about taking our fears to God. Maybe this is, um, maybe you'll resonate with this, but I think some of us are much more comfortable taking our very practical like request to God and not so much the fear. So for example, it might be easier for us to pray, God, help me get that promotion. Rather than, God, I'm afraid that if I don't get this promotion, I'll disappoint my parents and will be worthless. That's a fear (laughs) that God can handle. Or God, give us a lead pastor at Newcom. That's a great prayer. And I also invite us to look deeper and say, what's underneath? What's what's some fears that you can take to God as well? God, I'm afraid you might be abandoning this church. Those sorts of raw, honest fears that we can take to God, it's it's in the radical honesty that Jesus shows you a new vision of his powerful presence and invites you to deeper faith. Faith that will allow you to acknowledge the hard and bad and still have your eyes fixed on Jesus and your heart secure with a sense of inner calm. For we serve a God who spoke the world into existence and speaks words of love and life over you. This God can calm and quiet our souls when fear threatens to overwhelm and this God is close to us. This is the God who chose to be in our boat and in our very beings. So may we, people of God, embrace this God. Please pray with me. Great creator, the Lord of the universe and our savior and our close friend, God, we come to you today. We ask that you would give us eyes to see you in your fullness. Lord, Please, in the areas that we have fear that feels, seems to be gripping us, I ask that your spirit would meet us there and lead us into your presence. Lord, may we be a people 
who when, when storms are confronting us, may we be people who can uh, stay close to your presence, be looking to you and open to how you are expanding our visions of you. We offer these words up to you knowing that you are good. I ask that your spirit would do the work that only you can do in transforming our hearts. In your holy name, amen.